Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Juan Gal Show. We have a very interesting conversation today. I had Jeffrey Tucker on at the same time as I had Tesson Ignacio, who is a team member within the Javier Milei campaign. Now, if you haven't been following this story, there's a libertarian anarcho-capitalist with a fairly good track record um, of consistent ideas around libertarian thought about to take power in Argentina and become the president of the country. And he's talking about ending the Argentinian peso, ending the Fed. The country is facing hyperinflation. And it seems like there's no real path to escape hyperinflation for it at this point, whether Javier Milei wins or not. And so it was very interesting to have Tucker and Tesson on at the same time. They got to they got to engage the conversation. Uh, Jeffrey asked him a few good questions, had some really good commentary. And uh, we talked about everything from policy to strategy post-election, assuming he wins, um, and how to deal with Congress and so on. We also talked about how they got this far. Uh, what is their political strategy as a campaign and how did they manage to catch everybody by surprise, it seems, and uh, become the front runner for the Argentinian presidency. So, very interesting conversation. Let me know what you think. There's definitely some concerns about Millet that were expressed, and we talked about those as well. Obviously, more from the, let's say, uh, liberal, left-leaning side of things. But nevertheless, I think some interesting concerns. Uh, Millet certainly has a very uh, strong, let's say, social conservatism perspective, and that is always somewhat controversial. You're going to want to listen to that part. It was uh, pretty interesting. And we started this podcast straight up with Adam Dobb and Diana, both of whom are Argentinians and have been very helpful in helping us connect with uh, people on the ground. And uh, they give us a bit of a context as to the sentiment in the country right now. So great conversation. Uh, We have a sponsor today, new sponsor. Very grateful. Uh, Beaver Bitcoin. It is Canada's most user-friendly Bitcoin on-ramp. And this is true. I mean, it's like two or three clicks. You could be uh, buying Bitcoin and you can buy with uh, e-transfers, right? You can buy it Bitcoin instantly and set up a recurring buy so you can DCA into Bitcoin directly from your bank account. Um, Beaver Bitcoin is non-custodial, delivers your Bitcoin directly to your wallet that only you control, right? So if you've got some cold storage set up, this is perfect. It's built by Bitcoiners, for Bitcoiners, and it's easy enough to recommend to family and friends. So you can sign up today at beaverbitcoin.com. That's a beaverbitcoin.com. And a very Canadian company, as you can tell. I've heard of them before. Uh, They're definitely very, very easy to use. And I really like that they've gone down this DCA and auto withdrawal path. Uh, minimizes any kind of risk and you don't have to get into an account and manage balances and all that kind of stuff that people end up doing in crypto and Bitcoin. So yeah, check it out. Thank you so much, Beaver Bitcoin, for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, Helps a lot and it means a lot to us that you will support it. And we also have Adopting Bitcoin coming up. It's going to be in El Salvador, November 7th through 10th, more or less. I'll be speaking. I'll be giving a speech. It's probably going to be about Bitcoin self-custody, deep dive into self-custody. You know, I'm going to talk about the biggest mistake that I see people make that they think that is a great idea from a security perspective. It's way too common. I've seen plenty of people lose money because of this mistake. So you're going to want to be there to 
to catch that. And uh, we got a discount code for you guys for it. That's uh, Bitcoin News. It'll get you 10% off Bitcoin News discount code for adopting Bitcoin. So hope to see you there. <sighs> Let's get into it. Adam Dove, take it away. So tell us how's uh, how's the campaign going? What's the energy like in Argentina with with what appears to be a, a libertarian anarcho capitalist uh, at the doorsteps of uh, of the of the seat of power? Yeah, so there was a presidential vice presidential debate this week, uh, and Javier Milei's candidate Victoria Vichuel, she did pretty well. She was like attacked by all the other candidates, so. She, she did a good performance. And today, Emilia announced who will be the last central banker of Argentina if he gets elected. And sorry. Um, and so that, that's really good, uh, big news. Uh, this is the guy that, that, that is behind the dollarization plan. So that's been the, like, the, 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 the big news here this week. Okay, so so Millet announced who will be the last central banker, and it's the it's the main guy behind the. He's going to be the guy in charge of the dollarization plan. Exactly. Yeah. So okay. this guy has written the dollarization plan that Millet is going to implement. Okay, I can't wait to get into those details. Diana, how are you doing today? Thanks for joining. Hi, everybody. Really glad to be here. Uh, I'm going fine. I'm going to, but I'm I don't feel like. In the same uh, in the same vibes of Adam and maybe from the people who see Millet outside from Argentina, for me it's a little bit yeah. scary, and maybe some public figure like him allows himself and himself to to do that kind of aggressive expression. I think we see something like that with Trump, and uh, we saw the same uh, in Brazil with Bolsonaro. And I don't wish for my country one leader of that kind. I I wish someone able to build consensus are not someone who are looking for go against everybody at the same time. Uh, I don't know, even if we talk about dollarization, why a country, as a Bitcoiner, I, I wonder to myself and to everybody, why we want to get dollars? Because dollars have inflation also. So... I don't, I, I don't feel like a Millet fan, but it's good to say he put in the, in the public eye the discussion about the money, and that is valuable in some point. Yeah, I, I wanna. I'm really glad you, 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 you're sharing. Let's say your concerns about about Millet because everybody that I've talked to so far has been optimistic and excited, but I'm sure there's people that have reservations and. Yes, that is actually one of my one of my main concerns is how is he going to be able how is he going to be able to to build uh, consensus and build compromise in Congress uh, at this level of you know with this this line of moral arguments that he has that I absolutely agree with right like he just called he went to Congress and he called the state a criminal organization he said that taxation 
was <laughs> slavery, just in the smaller degree, you know. And uh, I, I love it. I love it, but like that's. Uh, I, I love. That. I, I I have to confess. Uh, I love that kind of speech when you when we are discussing some ideas and we want to the laws come and I guess that is helpful in uh in some place where you can exchange idea. But when you have to lead, when you are in the executive function in a country, it's a really different story. And at that point, I don't want someone like him. Uh, for me, one Millet in the Congress will be great ever here in and in every country. Because when you when you put the discussion for the limits, you sometimes arrive to good middle point and i guess that is healthy for a nation in general for a group for a team in every places but when you talk about manners the country and you are talking about have the power of the force and the military force under your commitment and your command it's a different story so uh, i love the freedom and I, I love i'm a feminist too and he's against everything who I respect. So for me, it's a little bit hard think in him like my president. Yes, he, he has very strong moral language, right? And he's going to be wielding the, the big guns. Um, what um, do you do you believe that, that he's a libertarian or do you see that he, do you are you concerned that he might, you know, that the power might get to him? Um, can you tell us a little bit about what like as a feminist and perhaps as somebody that's a little bit skeptical of that kind of power? As we should be, as a libertarian should be. I mean, the contradiction of a of an anarchy of a libertarian president is not lost on me. Uh, like the irony of it. Um, but let's say, as yeah. a feminist, what what are your concerns there? I'm I'm concerned about the abortion legislation. I'm concerned about the diversity le legislation. Uh, he, her vice president, he openly say he's against the equality uh, marriage. So she. She don't think the gay people have the same rights. And that for me is really concerning. Also, he is uh, agree with keep supporting the Catholic Church in Argentina, who actually is an enormous uh, charge for the government. And he's able to support that, but not able to give more rights to the people. So for me, it's a, contra it's a contradiction. And even if you are libertarian, you have to think twice about that. Yeah, he, he's definitely, he definitely seems socially conservative or more socially conservative. Even though he makes the argument from a libertarian perspective, he, he definitely has a very strong sort of social conservatism. So he has taken shots at the Pope, uh, as it called him a communist, I think. Um, so yes, you know, but he that agree with keep giving money to the church in Argentina. So uh, once I use, also you have to think here in Argentina, the people think the Pope is so free with the people. It's so open for the new ideas. So here in Argentina, the conservatives hate the actual Pope, uh, and you have a a bitter sweet feelings around this figure. That's that's very interesting, Adam. Uh, what are your I, thoughts so far? I think that we're not discussing who is the most pure libertarian or if he's a perfect libertarian, but what Argentina needs right now and what will be better for Argentina going forward. And Millet is already getting more pragmatic, uh, going back to the issue of uh, negotiating and getting consensus and being able to move forward and implement, actually enforce the the policies he wants to to promote. 
And he's already getting more pragmatic in the sense that he's already talking with unions who are very um, associated with the Peronist movement, who are uh, very interventionist in the economy. So, he, for example, a, a union, a, a, a big union, uh, is organizing tonight a fundraising dinner for Millet. And he has been criticized for this because he's saying he's against the political case. And these guys have been uh, leaders of the union for decades now. So I think, I believe Millet is, as, as, he, as, as it approaches uh, the date of his, of his take of, of taking office, if he gets elected, of course, um, he, he will start um, getting support from those who, who share um, his ideas in part and want to find a good spot in the new political scenario. Because let's not forget that politicians lack power and they will try to accommodate with the with, with the guy that is that that that, that is in power at, at, at that time. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think to some degree maybe it's there's a lot of political sort of messaging to kind of rally a certain let's say part of the population, but there's there's going to have to be compromises for him to be able to do anything. We we're going to talk about how uh, institutions can at times be, enter a kind of political cold war with the presidency and basically block them on everything. Uh, but Diana, real quick on the abortion issue. Um, in the United States, it's being talked about uh, a three. A, I think it's a twelve-week abortion plus ban. So if you if you're if you're trying to have an abortion after twelve weeks, three months, that's too far. There's pretty people that are saying you know fucking nine-month abortion, right? Basically, at that point, like I think you're getting a little bit too cl- close to just killing babies, right? And so where like if if Millet came out with like a you know a a let's say reasonable yeah, uh- abortion policy, right? Like like we see in Europe. Uh, where it's three months onward, it's you know, would that be tolerable for you think that the feminist uh, side of of Argentina? No, our current uh, law, our current legislation, put the same limit, twelve week, and of course uh, we don't want to create a coalition of rights, and the life is a right itself, the conscience life is a is a right, and we are respected. I'm I'm a mother. I'm a really a really loving person with the people who are pregnant, but I'm, for all that things, someone free, and I want the freedom to choose for everybody. So the legislation are put, uh, are in this moment in Argentina is relatively new. We have this law after 2020, if I am not wrong, because the fight for half this legislation was so far too long. And Millet is is trying to take that law out. So he's saying that legislation is wrong and have don't exist. And he uh, says something about the constitutional, uh, the constitutional weight of that law. So it's, the, the fight is go for the unconstitutionality of this law. Very interesting. Very interesting. You're okay. You'll be interested in listening to Jeffrey Parker's uh, talking about uh, Javier Millet and his, brut- his view of brutalist versus humanist libertarianism. Can you uh, expand on that for people that maybe not not familiar with those uh, those terms? So yeah, so a couple of years ago, I think it was around 2015, before Trump getting to the presidency, um, some libertarians started to see Trump uh, with the sympathetic eyes, and they starting to become more pro-Trump. And it was around the time that the alt-right was born. And the, these, these guys were 
still putting forward libertarian uh, slogans, let's say, such as you have the right of free speech. But Jeffrey Tucker would say that they would use that right of free speech, the right of private property, to exclude other people, to offend other people, to be intolerant of minorities, etc., etc. So they would be the guys that say, I'm a libertarian and I won't bake a cake for a gay couple. Um, they are, uh, and Jeffrey Tucker says they are libertarian, but they embrace a branch of libertarianism that does not reflect what is the libertarian ethos of uh, being cosmopolitan and trading with everyone and being tolerant of minorities. So I think that that's yes, like a pretty, um, you know, rough summary of what Tucker proposed at, at, the, mm -hmm. at the moment. And I think Millet aligns with the brutalist libertarian branch, I would say. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely he's definitely much less, let's say, diplomatic, right? He's, uh, I mean, I, I just, I'm, it blew my mind hearing him in Congress. I, I, I tweeted this out, and I have we have the tweet pinned to on the. On, on, on the nest, and he says, first of all, I'm a, I'm a liberal libertarian, and I recognize the state as a criminal organization is funded by taxation. Taxation is theft, you know. And then, and then he says, like, yeah, taxation is basically slavery. You know, it's a, it's a it's a remnant of slavery. In fact, the slavery is 100% taxation. So he's got a lot of art, like, and he said a lot of other things along these lines. Just very strong moral arguments. I've heard those moral arguments on other other sort of um, other communications that he's put out. Uh, and he certainly doesn't hold back against his political opposition. I think that's a good thing politically. It seems to me like you need that kind of strength to sort of uh, connect with the anger of the, of a population that's probably feels like they're getting completely screwed. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think that you know, the, we're, it's it's interesting. It's interesting to hear how how people that that are concerned about being on the wrong side of of Millet, you know what he might do. Do you do you know one of the accusations that I keep hearing is that 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 Millet is a fascist, right? And on the on face value, I I have a hard time take, taking that seriously. Um, but Diana, can you um, can you can you tell us about that? What, what do you think people mean when they say or, or are concerned that he's a fascist? Because to me, like I, I, as a libertarian and, and hearing somebody make a libertarian moral arguments, I have a hard time taking that seriously. But maybe there's there's something there that I'm not seeing. Okay, I think maybe the people don't have all the theoretical categories about what is fascist and what is Nazi and whatever. But I think it's the general feeling about the hate from other people, from other things. And also he's against the socialists and he say that word each uh, two minutes in every speech. So the people make an association. You are against the socialists, so you are fascist. I, I guess it's, sometimes it's more simple. Also, we have to keep in mind, uh, Millet is an influencer, on, almost, over economies, over all the things. He bigger success was become an influencer, like Trump or like Bolsonaro. He win in the media, in the social media. So um, I guess maybe a lot of time is a simplification of the speech. Um, in general, you are not allowed to say Nazi to someone, maybe, but if you say fascista, that works. So I guess it's more more simple and 
is related to the way he expressed himself. For sure, for sure. All right. Um, thank you guys for, for helping us give you some context to this conversation. Please stick around. Uh, Jeffrey Tucker has joined. Uh, welcome, Jeffrey. It's great to have you here. That's good to be here. Thank you. Uh, can I address this point about fascism just right away? Please. Uh, I'm not surprised, really, to hear these uh, comments of Mele that he's uh, a fascist. I mean, it is utterly uh, preposterous. Fascism does have a real meaning historically understood in the 20th century. Uh, fascism really began... Uh, in the late 19th century as, a, as an attempt to uh, unite uh, the nation around the state. That was the idea, that, that, that it, would, it was not left-wing in the sense that uh, the communists w were, but, but rather, you know, the fascism would approve of the family, even, even privately owned businesses, as long as, and, and even religions, so long as they all serve the state. And the point of fascism is to make the state the very center of your life and the center of national life, that all things through the state, you know, of the state, by the state, for the state. This was uh, Mussolini's line. Uh, so obviously, uh, libertarianism and fascism are exactly opposite ideologies. Uh, but as time went on in the 20th century, this sort of uh, uh, Hegelian, uh, analytics of the late 19th century split into two groups, the right wing and the left wing. And the communists began to describe everybody who was not a communist as being a fascist. <laughs> and that obviously and uh, you know, uh, intensified uh, during uh, World War II um, in the battle between the Nazis and the Russians. And so this has just become a kind of a habit. So this is the language that the left uses for everybody who opposes their agenda. And I don't care if you're a free market anarchist, you know, a, a left libertarian, civil libertarian, free speech advocate. If you oppose whatever it is that the left is favoring, even if it's vaccine mandates or censorship or whatever it is, no matter how statist the idea is, and you're against it, they will instinctively just call you a fascist. And that's, that's just the way it is. And, and it's utterly bogus, uh, especially in this case. Yeah, I, I definitely have heard it too much, and it feels empty to me. I think I asked for a definition recently, and the definition I got is that he was using crisis in order to <laughs> to motivate the people and like to to me that's like isn't that what politicians do by definition isn't that like the first thing that every politician well you try does? to solve the crisis uh by the way the other the other term that's being bandied around i'm sure it's going to be going on in argentina too in the u.s is authoritarian so uh this is actually true that uh the Republicans in, in, the United, in the United States politics are determined, just like Millet and, and Argentina and many, many good people around the world, to dismantle this thing we call the administrative state. This is the permanent structures of bureaucracy that really manage uh, national life as versus, you know, say, the politicians, much less the people. The administrative state is the great enemy that liberty faces in our time, by far. And... So uh, people within the Republican 
party and Trump in particular, and DeSantis says the same thing, they're all saying this now, that they want to get rid of the administrative state. Well, the New York Times and the center left and the far left are all calling this authoritarian. So if you want to get rid of the permanent bureaucracy that's lording it over to the populations and return power to the people, that makes you, in their view, an authoritarian. <laughs> so none of this makes any sense. Yeah, that makes definitely no sense. Um, yeah, the, the bureaucracy is the most passively authoritarian authoritarian thing there is. Uh, you know, in many in many ways. Oh sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the the dismantling the existing authoritarianism and and really totalitarian totalitarianism is now casually tossed off as being fascistic and authoritarian itself. So so it's it's like we're living in an Orwellian world where everything is the opposite of what they claim. And mm -hmm. and it's hard to read this stuff. I, I mean, every day I wake up and I fall out of my chair in shock about the nonsense in the New York Times. You just can't believe it. And the only hope we really have is that, that an intelligent people will start to see through this rhetoric. And when a, when a, when a candidate for office stands up and says, I want to get rid of the bureaucracies, I want to stabilize our currency. I think you should have the right to start a business and to keep what you earn from that. Uh, I think you should have free speech. Okay, it's a good thing to believe that what they're saying, they, that's what they mean. You know, I mean, you, you want free speech. You don't want authoritarian bureaucracies running the world. Mm -hmm. But right now... You know, there's this kind of weird panic going on all over the world on the part of, um, I don't know, I wish I had a better word than the left, because it's not really the left. It's something like the ruling class, the corporate uh, statist ruling class all over the world. The, the same people who gave us the pandemic response uh, three and a half years ago and have been censoring big tech and forcing... Uh, uh, shots on us that we don't want these and inflating the money supply and ruining our economies and taking away our liberties they are terrified that they've overreached and that the general population is on to them and are g getting increasingly impatient and determined to dismantle these structures of power and this is taking place truly all over the world so you've got right now a tremendous amount of panic that's alive within these ruling class structures extending from the World Economic Forum to the World Health Organization to the United Nations uh, to the highest levels of the billionaire class and and the, the, the multinational elites. You know, the, uh, across the world, they are terrified that they're losing the debate and that the public is getting increasingly angry and that 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 we're giving rise to new generation of politicians that are determined this time to focus on the enemy and do something about it. So they're they're scared witless. That's why all this rhetoric is intensifying. Absolutely, and and they stay, they talk about populism and they talk about all oh, the, the dangers of populism and how dangerous populism is. And then I think they just equate populism with fascism, and they're trying to hide behind this sort of this fascism accusation. But, um, you know, I think it's going to be hard for that to stick uh, when you have a candidate that's so openly libertarian. However, 
he is arguably a very conservative libertarian. We're going to get into that uh, hopefully in a little bit more detail. I want to hear your thoughts on that, Jeffrey. But uh, before we do that, Tesson Ignacio has joined the conversation. Thank you, Tesson, for joining. Thank you too, Juan. Uh, just for the record, my name is Ignacio. My, my surname uh, is Tesson. But, gotcha. you know, everybody, everybody calls me by, by my surname. So that's, that's okay. Okay, awesome. And just a quick introduction. Tesson is an Argentinian economist, uh, studied at the Tela University in Argentina. He has a master's degree in finance at the Valencian University in Spain and is currently, currently working as finance writer, helping the Malay campaign with economic and communication insights for their candidates and coordinating fiscales, which are the people that overlook the ballots in the schools where people vote. Very important piece of the puzzle, you know, because if 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 socialists and communists and they probably even fascists are accused of anything or guilty of anything, it's probably cheating in elections. Uh, I think it was um, Lenin who said uh, whoever controls the voting machines controls the 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 country, basically something like that, right? So, uh, very very important piece there. Um, and I wanna I wanna ask you a lot of questions about the political campaign and the political strategy that you guys have that is very clearly very effective, but. We'll get into that a little bit later in the show. First off, I, I want to ask you a quick question. Can you give us an update on the campaign? You know, it seems like he's doing very well. What are the expectations? And you, can you give us a quick overview of Millet's policy agenda for those that are not too familiar? Sure. Uh, well, he's now the favorite. Uh, the, the, he, he's basically the favorite, uh, the favorite candidate to win the election right now. Uh, and market odds right now have it at like 80% chance of winning the election here in Argentina. The, the the real question now is whether he will win on the first round or there will be a, a ballotage, which is basically, basically you know, a one-on-one -on -one, uh, contest between the, the candidates that uh, that will take the most votes in, in October. So that's a real question now. But as of this moment, uh, market odds ha have him at 80% chance of winning. That's awesome. And do you think, uh, what are the odds you think that, it, that this gets to the second stage that he just wins on the first round? Uh, if he happens to win uh, on the first round, that would be great. But if he goes to the second round, I would say that he has more or less 90% uh, chance of winning. Uh, and uh, about the agenda question, uh, well, the problems here in Argentina are basically economic problems. Uh, we have lots of problems, but uh, first and foremost, the, 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 the main problem here is always economic. Uh, we have a rampant inflation of more than 100% per year. It's basically the destruction of money uh, by printing money um, and precisely uh, specifically, we have uh, a continuous problem, which are which is called uh, lelix. These are like uh, treasury bonds, like like um, that the that the central bank has, and it pays interests. You know, the the treasury pay, pay. In fact, it's it's the central bank, but you know, the central bank it's basically the government. So it is a continuous problem in which the central bank pays interests to banks in order to retain the money and, and not having and not having it running around in the economy so basically uh, higher interest rates paradoxically in Argentina 
lead to higher inflation. It's like a never-ending problem. And are these interest rates paid in dollars or are they paid in, in Argentinian pesos? In, in pesos. Uh, uh, we have a, a, like a mixture because the treasury has U.S. dollar-denominated debt and the central bank has a huge like uh, that like that triples or quadruples the, the amount of debt that the treasury has but it's a debt in pesos that pays interest in pesos and in at this very moment it's like more than a hundred percent per year in, in terms of interest rates that the central bank offers to banks in order to uh, you know uh, retain pesos so it's a never-ending problem. Gotcha. And obviously, the the main that's the main concern for the Argentinian people today. It seems that that's the that's the that's what's on the ballot. How to deal with this hyperinflation? Um, obviously, Malay's two planks, uh, leading planks of policy here are dollarization and basically ending the Fed, which is a movement that started with Ron Paul in the United States. At least got popularized with Ron Paul in the United States. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what the plan is as of now uh, in terms of dollarization and actually ending the Fed? The, the problem here is that the, the, the equivalent of ending the Fed here is dollarization. It's like a paradox because um, it's like an irony, I would say, because you ha you in the States, you, you might believe that a 10% inflation is a lot, but for us, that would be the best of the best of. The, the whole world's available. So um, the best thing that we can afford right now is dollarization. Uh, and and the problem now is that we can't do it as of this very moment because we don't have the dollars. Um, and that's the main problem. We don't have uh, foreign reserves and we don't, we can't, you know, the central bank is not able to um, buy back the pesos of the economy because it doesn't have the dollars to provide to basically anyone or or any any company i mean um what are you going to give which dollars are you are you going to provide to people if you don't have the dollars wow what what a problem and and what's how are you guys going to going to deal with that well uh, Millet's plan uh, he has two plans <laughs> the first one is really dangerous it will it will be very damaging i guess to to a lot of people but i but people know that there is like uh, a hyperinflation behind the rug so the first plan it's not the best plan but it's what it's what we have it's like basically pay all of the pesos denominated debt from the central from our our central bank and basically let the pesos run around. That will basically cause a hyperinflation. Um, I would say uh, it might, I mean, destroy the peso. And then you wouldn't need any dollars at all, basically because the dollars, I mean, the pesos will be basically worthless. That's that's the first plan. It's not the best plan in the world, but it's what it's what we have right now. And um, and uh, the second plan is it's more complex. And it's like uh, creating a trust um, with the national bonds that are currently uh, floating in international markets, you know, the, the Argentinian bonds. But the problem with that plan 
uh, right now is that um, those bonds are trading at 30 cents per per dollar. So um, it's it, I mean creating that trust will will entail to basically um, create a privatize a, a lot of debt that is currently held by the government by 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 the central bank itself so it's like it's like a, a dog that runs runs around his his tail and there's a th that, that's a third pillar or, or a third plan but it's basically taking more debt in order to dollarize and then try to stabilize the situation we don't really know how this will be going to turn out, basically because Millet is not running the round, it's not running the country right now, and we we don't really know what we are going to receive on December. Um, but well, we will see. It will, I guess, it, uh, that it's going to be one of those three uh, options. Okay, and uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like you're facing hyperinflation no matter what. Arguably, you're already, Argentina's already in hyperinflation, and hyperinflation will come whether or not Millet succeeds, whether or not Millet gets in. At this point, who has any confidence in, in the Argentinian peso? Everybody seems to be trying to flock the dollars, or a lot of people anyway. Uh, Tucker, yeah. uh, uh, what I'm can curious, you... Uh, is the Go dollar ahead. already uh, circulating widely in Argentina, the U.S. dollar? In specific markets, yes. Um, like on the on the real estate market, yes. On the automobile sector, maybe. But on a daily basis, like for daily purchases, not yet. I mean, we might get there yet in a couple of months, but not right now. Is it? Uh, there, is there legal changes that need to be made? Is is the U.S. dollar uh, now? Yes, exactly, 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 Jeffrey. Um, the problem here is that it's not a legal tender. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's a very simple first step, right? I mean, you just need to just open up the legal tender laws to give. People yeah, the problem, the problem. The problem is that uh, you know the, the, most people say that uh, enabling the U.S. dollar to be a legal a legal tender will basically cause a hyperinflation right now mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well i don't know if that's true or not i i really don't i don't know if that's true but in any case keeping it uh keeping it in, in the sort of illegal or keeping it essentially in gray and black markets uh is not really a solution uh either and and clearly agree. yeah totally agree. yeah and the argentinian uh peso it, it just has to go. It, it sounds like it's it's already been beaten uh, too badly. So um, a, a quick switch to a kind of a competitive currency arrangement could be good. And um, I don't know if Mille is considering this, but yes, uh, yes, but, yes, it but, is considering. Yes. Yeah, okay, that's good. And and then also opening it up to other other possible. Uh, uh, cryptocurrencies as uh, as a medium of exchange. Yeah, that's a good Ooh. question. Well, yeah. What's uh, what do, what do, what is your feel for Malay's? Um, let's say um, what's Malay's sentiment in terms of, of of crypto in general, Bitcoin, Tether, you know, the stable coins. Hundred percent on board. Hundred percent on board. Yeah. So th I mean, look, I'm. I, I I don't know what I would do it if I were in in this this situation that Malay's facing, but. 
generally, as he well knows, uh, freedom is is a better solution than any of the status quo, right? I mean, it's just letting people have choices and 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 going towards freedom. So when your currency fails, what people need more than anything else is an alternative, um, uh, whether that's silver or gold or Bitcoin or some other uh, equivalent uh, crypto or the dollar, or for that matter, uh, there there are probably other stable currencies in the region that people could use. And um, and I suppose then that raises the, you know, the question of, of public finance and you know that's that's a difficult problem but on the other hand maybe starving the beast wouldn't be the worst uh, possible outcome if you understand what i mean i mean i'm sure that we've got sure yes in, in fact he's he's uh like three days ago he voted on favor of uh basically reducing taxes uh with the with the current administration so even though there's a there's a there's a there's yeah, a yes. major, major debt problem exactly exactly that yeah. so he he's basically starving the beast yes yeah, uh, yeah. Like I, I actually you know there's a huge debate in the US about about this uh problem because as you know the US has just unspeakably <laughs> I'm with you. I I I'm with you on 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 that matter I mean yeah. it's it's always to starve the beast yeah I, I don't know what else to do because you can't continue. You, you simply can't continue to pillage the people uh, to pay for the mistakes of the ruling class. That's that's immoral to do that. So I don't. You know, even if you have accountants sitting around going, "Oh, we're not going to have enough revenue to pay the foreign debts, and that's going to degrade our bonds um, you know, even further and lead to more inflation." Okay, even if that's true. Uh, the people have to have security in their property and and believe that uh, they can earn money without without having to hand over such a high percentage uh, to the government. It's the only way you're going to restart this economy and 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 get it more enterprising and and back on a growth path is if people have confidence in a stable legal environment and the fact that they're not going to have their their wealth pillaged. Uh, whether through taxation or inflation or otherwise. So yes, it's probably true that everybody would immediately bail and the markets would bail from the Argentinian peso. But I think it would be a, a, a fairly quick uh, transition um, towards mainly dollarization, but then more generally competitive currencies uh, across the board. And I don't, I don't know if, uh, if Mile is in the mood for something like that. <clears throat> Certainly... Um, Salvador, uh, El Salvador has experimented with some some degree of Bitcoinization, which I think has been at least not unsuccessful. But but we but Argentina is unusual in the sense that it has to deal with its currency problem, yeah. and it and it and it has to deal with the expenditure side. And Mille's idea of like, can we just stop spending so much money on things that people hate, you know, <laughs> is a good one. Right. I mean, if you can get rid of the administrative apparatus and the programmatic apparatus of the central state, that's already going to go a long way to, to at least getting the, the debt problem uh, solved, uh, to, uh, not solved, but at least improved. Yes. Uh, one of the one of the main problems that we have here is that uh, 
more or less like 60 or 70 percent of the federal government expenses are part of social expenses. Yes. So cutting that out would probably, you know, um, drive poverty like it, it is now standing at 40 percent, 43 percent. It might drive it, drive, drive it up, drive it up like to fifty-five or sixty, mm -hmm. yeah. and yes, it's it's going to be very damaging in the in the short run. Yes, but in, uh, in the okay. long run, so if I can ask some yeah. details about this, uh, when you say social expenditure, you mean uh, public pension funds, like public uh, pension funds? Okay, that is a huge thing. Those, I'm sorry, but that is the disasters of the past. Nobody can do anything about that, uh, but but that's an illegitimate debt that society owes. The same people who ruined Argentina are now on pensions, okay? That's a problem, and that's not fair, and it's wrong to continue to uh, loot the present people for retirees, uh, on especially on public pensions. So, yeah, basically, fifty-five percent of all government expenditures are public pensions. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah. and okay, also, this, this is, yeah, I'm now. This is a disaster. Okay. But it's, this is a disaster. Yes, it's a it's a disaster. And wait, wait until you hear this. More than fifty percent, more than fifty percent of all the people that uh, collect a public pension at the end of the month, every month have not uh, like given anything to that public pension fund uh, absolutely anything it's like uh, it's it's like a socialist policy that was uh, you know that was continuous for like 15 years and when when the money stopped coming in stopped stopped coming coming in in like uh, 2017 uh, everything went down the drain, and now we have that really huge hole. You know, it, again, it's wrong for the for the people to have to continue to pay for the salaries and the retirement of the people who destroyed the country. It, that that is just immoral and wrong. And I I don't know if legally Mila is in a position to do anything about this. But the, that's the main problem. We have, a, a, you know, like the judicial power here. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really status quo driven. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So even yeah. even though Argentina is a very presidentialist country, yeah. many things and many reforms that Millet is, is will try to carry on. Yeah, will will or might be uh, struck down. Uh, later, so yeah. that that's uh, yeah. more problem. And, and then he gets impeached immediately, mm -hmm. and then yeah. and then, and then the New York Times calls him Hitler. And, and <laughs> yes, like yeah. because he he does he won't he won't he won't have like two thirds of the cha of the of the chamber. So basically, yeah. he, he might he might be impeached at least once. <laughs> I know, I know, and uh, the pension problem. Now tell me. Uh, what about the healthcare uh, budget? Uh, that's not that much. It's I guess it's like a two or three percent. Uh, okay. It's 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 coming down in pieces. And what about uh, education? Again, two or three percent, not more than that. Uh, 
in public investments like uh, railroads, etc., like uh, 6% more or less. And the rest is basically salaries from from the government yeah, and, and, uh, and those social programs I mentioned before. Tra transfer payments. Uh, uh, and how are the transfer payments divided up? Are they... Uh... Uh, Social Security, or they? I, I, I included it. I, I included it in the in the seventy or eighty percent. We have subsidies. We do have subsidies uh, to every single uh, public service, like uh, water, light, etc. Every wow. everybody has subsidies. Mm -hmm. um, um, what else? Well, yeah, we have lots of transfers, but those are more or less disguised in in those public pension funds. Um, but if we take into account the whole social net, I would say that 85 or 90% of, of, of our government is, is basically a transfer, yeah. a, a, a social government. <laughs> direct, direct cash, uh, direct cash subsidies to poor, pam yeah. poor families. Um, uh, food, you have a food stamp program. Yeah, those are the transfers. It's all on the transfers. We don't have yeah. food stamps. It's all transfers. Yeah. You know, I, I look, I'm not in a position to advise. Uh, but uh, by the way, uh, many, many U.S. cities have an identical problem here. And it's identical in the U.S. So uh, huge liabilities associated with public pensions. Uh, so they cannot cut taxes. And, and, and a big expenditure in the U.S. is uh, education. Um, and, uh, and so they can't cut taxes because that would, that would rob them the revenue that they are legally obligated to pay in these pensions. And then, and then cutting education is, uh, you know, they believe that cutting education, the educational expenditures, would then make cities even less attractive than they are now, and then people would move out because that would cause the, the quality of the schools to decline, which I don't believe, personally. Um, uh, I think you can solve the educational problem by deregulating and allowing anybody to open up a school and say, forget it, you know, we're, we're done, you know, that's it. Um, that would solve it's, that it's problem. What, it's what's happening here. There, there was a, a crowding out effect on the economic and healthcare sectors, and uh, because of the, you know, the 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 privates were destroyed at first, but on the on the second round of effects, the public the public services were crumbling down, and now the privates are 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 really trying to you know have yeah are, are switching switching once again to private. So that's right. Uh, yes. Um, now look. Uh, I, 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 having examined this problem in, in several U.S. cities, it seems to me the only real answer is that either you're going to face a constant decline in, in population and in prosperity, increase in crime, and basically the loss of civilization, okay? Yes, that's basically the, the last 30, uh, 20, 20 years of Argentina, basically. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, the, difference, the difference between... The U.S. and Argentina is that we found a magical solution. Just print more money. <laughs> we, we, found, we, we, we found that solution too. Just we just didn't use such an extreme case. But you know, you, you, here's your choice: you, you face barbarism, or or what I think should be done 
is a complete repudiation of these public pensions. I know that sounds extreme, but that seems to me that's your choice. For a lot of cities in the U.S., this is true. Hartford, Boston, Chicago, even New York. Because, because you cannot have freedom and also fully funded pensions at the same time. So what are we going to do about that? I think the answer is you pull the plug. You say, we're done. We should never have made these promises to you, but we're not going to keep the promises by continuing to pillage the people. Um, if Mille made that case and said to the people of Argentina, we are not going to keep taxing you to paying the people who destroyed your lives, how do you think that would go over in, in terms of uh, popular appeal? Because let's face it, most people are not on public pensions. It's only the powerful people. Am I right? Uh, in the case of Argentina, every pension is private. <laughs> every single one. We don't have a private system of pensions. Those were, uh, those were all like seized on 2009. So that, that, that's the huge hole we have. I'm sorry, explain again. So yeah, please clarify you, you, that. Yeah, you have liabilities public by public pensions. I mean, state uh, employees that are retired that are continuing to earn vast amounts of income. Am I right? Uh, it's not like that. I mean, in Argentina, we don't have private pensions. Not a single one. I see. Uh, yeah. You so, stated it earlier. You don't have private pensions. You only have public pensions. Exactly. Every every Sorry. retiree yeah. has a pub, has a public pension. Every single one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so retirees from the private sector. So anybody who retires immediately gets money from the government. Exactly. Uh, that's what I tried to say. Yeah, that's fucked up. <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> that's crazy. We are we are in the end of times here. We are in in, in the the absolute socialist state. Yeah, uh, it sounds like well, Mila is the right man for the job, and he, oh, I don't know, he's just got to tell the truth. I don't know, you know. I, to me, we're coming to the point in, in public life all over the world that we have to stop the lies. We have to tell the truth, and even if that truth is painful, and even if it doesn't get done right away, we have to say what's true, and and. And, and forget this plain politics thing. And by the way, telling the truth is how Melee went from a guy that nobody ever heard of to being uh, uh, a hugely popular guy. So, exactly. Yeah, so, telling the truth is the way forward. And Argentinians, just like Americans, not really Americans, but a lot of Americans, are ready for the difficult truths. Because we're, we're tired of being lied to. We've been lied to constantly for so many years. Um, and people are ready for 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 whatever whatever the truth is. We need to know it. And if these pensions cannot be uh, cannot be funded at the current level, somebody just needs to say that. You know, maybe Mile is the guy. He's like, well, uh, Mile, Mile has said it, but also you know that there's that moral standpoint in which most people say, well, but you can't let. The ret re every retiree starved to death. So what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, what we're going to do is establish a robust uh, system of uh, private uh, 
private care and concern and benevolence and philanthropy. And we're going to restart the economy, rebuild the capital stock, get some sound money, and get us on a sustainable path to rebuild the greatness of Argentina as it once was, instead of continuing. <laughs> sounds, sounds really great. I, I, don't, I don't know if, if we can, uh, you know... Uh, Put up that uh, put up. I mean, uh, I don't know if, if we can push that narrative down people's I throats know. right now. I know we people people are people are very tired. Yeah, I get it. I get yeah, Tesson. Quick question. I mean, how much of this is going to be something that Congress is going to have to approve, and what's the plan there? Because it seems like you know one of the big traps of socialism is that you know you bribe the population and make all the promises in the world for 30 years. And then when you can't deliver, it's the people that are the people that are expecting those promises to get paid, the ones that are going to suffer from the changes that need to be done. So like, um, you know, for example, like, like, you know, it, one of the solutions could be in theory, if you could, if, if, the, if there is currency competition and then, you know, deregulation and, and uh, more, economic wealth started to emerge from the country, then, you know, people could take care of their family, could help sort of support each other in this sort of difficult transition. And so, but that would mean like, you know, again, going back to open up legal tender laws, uh, opening up currency competition. Is that something that Congress has to approve or, or can Millet sign a piece of paper and get it done? Before you answer that, I, I'm so sorry I have to go. I could stay on this phone call all night because this is just unbelievable. Uh, I appreciate so much being here, and I just want to say that if anybody wants to get a hold of me, my Twitter uh, instant messages are open. I would love to help in whatever I can, whatever way, whatever way I can, because it seems to me that Argentina, if this goes well, could be a beacon of liberty for the world. So, but I will let you go, and thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much, thank Jeff you, uh, hopefully we can have you again sometime. It was great to have you. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Thank you so much. All right. Well, uh, regarding the Congress question, um, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Uh, regarding the, con the Congress question, uh, Millet will have more or less one third of the chamber, a little bit less maybe. And... Uh, the question whether we need Congress or not, uh, it's a difficult one because, yes, presidents here have decrees. I mean, they have the power to to enact decrees. So, yes, we can push uh, certain legislation. But uh, the question is, how far can we go before that impeachment and how far can we can we push? Before they they push back, and and when I when I say they, I mean the the there's not a single opposition. It's not like in the states we you have many parties here that compete. And um, in the case of of, of uh, allowing the dollar to to be used as a, as a legal tender, uh, it is something that that we cannot do directly. But it is we are trying to find a loophole because uh, like a, a century ago, a hundred years ago or more, there, there, there was a second legal tender of Argentina. So what, what does the law says about, about the, the legal tender of Argentina? 
it, it says that Argentina at every point must have its own legal tender. That, that's what the law says. And the, the loophole that they were trying to find is that a century ago, a, a second legal tender based on gold and silver was created. And it hasn't been used in like more than 85 years ago since the creation of our central bank. So basically the, the loophole that we're trying to find is, is that we are not eliminating the currency. We are just um, eliminating one of them, you know? So it's like, uh, it's a loophole. You're not truly eliminating the, the Argentinian currency because you will be using a currency that was created a hundred years ago or more and nobody uses. Do you understand? Oh, interesting. Okay. Right. Yeah. So what's this currency called? Uh, peso de oro, which is called, uh, which is basically golden peso, golden peso. Nobody uses, uses golden pesos. Nobody knows even what a golden peso is. <laughs> but it's 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 of legal tender, so it's it's like a loophole. We are not destroying uh, Argentinian currency. And is it supposed to be backed by gold, or is it just called that? Uh, it was supposed to be backed by gold, but a, again, it nobody uses that right. that currency. It, nobody knows what it is. So it's less, it's it's like something that that uh, it's there and has been there, but nobody knew. Right. So you're, the idea is like maybe bring back, bring that back as a, as a financial vehicle to reform. Not, 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 not even, not, not even bring it, not even bring it, bring it, uh, bringing it, bringing it back. Not, not even that. Right. It's like, we're just saying, Hey, we are not eliminating uh, the Argentinian currency. We're just eliminating one of them. <laughs> right. It's the, the only use, the only one that's used. Okay. Okay, no, that, that's that's cool. I didn't know that. I, I actually would love to see one of these uh, Argentinian, this this uh, golden pesos. I'm a, I love collecting different kinds of money, and uh, that that we have to look that up. But uh, you know, when when it comes to like what one of the concerns that I have is we've seen, uh, let's say, political leaders uh, get challenged by the institutions of a nation when they go against the elite. You know, we saw we saw we've been seeing it with Trump for six years. Even if you hate Trump, you can't say that the establishment hasn't fought him. Right, they fought them with everything they've got. It seems, um, and and then here in Colombia with a guy that I don't like at all, Mr. Petro, who's you know very clearly a communist. Um, he's being fought by the institutions. So now, like, I'm actually on the side of the institutions in this case. In Colombia, it's like, yeah, fuck that guy, you know. But but so so the the challenge that I'm that I that I'm concerned about for Millet is is that building of of consensus and, and compromise because, you know, we, he, he has a very clear moral um, messaging. I love to see it, I'm, I, you know, but how is he going to, you know, how is he going to build, how is he going to be build consensus? Is there, is there anything you can tell us a little bit about the strategy going in, you know, like, like we were just talking about um, the, his position on, on abortion, you know, and, I, and I'm no fan of abortion, you know, even though I'm a libertarian, I think it's definitely something that should be avoided, you know, and should be planned, you know, pairing something that should be planned for. But obviously, like the, the world has kind of reached consensus around, yeah, maybe three month abortion ban, you know, upwards, you know, but three months under, like, 
you know, it's like go for it, right? If you if you must go for it, is the, is this an area where there could be consensus building, a, a more sort of socially liberal libertarianism from Millet, or like maybe can you tell tell us talk to us about that and maybe other other aspects that you guys might be looking at? Well, in, in specifically on abortion in Argentina, we have a law that allows abortion up to three months exactly. So um, we 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 don't have to change anything to uh, in terms of laws to to go to that point. Uh, Millet is really against abortion. In, in I I don't really know if if that makes makes him more or less libertarian. That's the never ending discussion. But uh, in terms of of building consensus across the aisle of of, of the political spectrum, I would say that um, the strategy basically two pillars. First one, uh, the the one that can be said um, basically talk with the Peronists in terms of Peronism. Or, or talk, we have something here that, you know, Juan Perón, the, the Peronist party, which historically has been the more socialist uh, driven, socially, socially driven party. Maybe you can say that. It, it's, it's a difficult thing to understand, to, to explain. Peronism, it's a, it's a phenomenon in itself. Uh, so speak to Peronists in terms of Peronist policies. For example, yes, you might keep this the uh, public pension funds, but maybe to in order to you know receive the uh, to ensure that we uh, continue people to receive uh, their pensions, maybe you can help us with another policy. On, on this aspect, maybe Peronist uh, always Peronists always always try to you know uh, drive up public investment. So okay, we will have public investment, but uh, also uh, these these investments will be like a mixture of public and investment policies. Um, the Chilean model. It's it's the the model that Millet wants for Argentina in terms of public investment. Those are uh, private and public uh, projects that um, that are carried by by both sectors. Um, in terms of other parties, basically uh, the the party of of Macri. It's called Propuesta Republicana. It's it's the it's it is the party that is the closest. Uh, ideologically, ideologically, with Millet, uh, I would say that, that there will be uh, there won't we, there won't be uh, lots of needs in terms of what what we have to agree with them. There won't be lots of negotiations, and then yes, you will have uh, lots of congressmen, and uh, that maybe uh, I don't know if I can say this, but maybe we will have to bribe them. Uh, with maybe maybe money, maybe maybe something, but yes, uh, consensus is always built uh, on 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 the base of negotiation, and and bribe, bribes are always part of the of negotiations themselves. 
yeah, yeah. There's gonna have to be some compromises if you want if you want Congress on, on your side to some degree. So, um, I mean, it seems like the main crisis is obviously the monetary crisis and uh, the dollarization. Let, let's switch gears a little bit. I, I have so many questions for you. I wanna I wanna get an insight into 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 the campaign, into the into the strategy. But um, real quick, I have to ask you about Bitcoin. Um, you know, we've seen a few nations legalize Bitcoin or at least legalize it as a currency. You know, obviously El Salvador is the front runner there. Um, however, we also saw in an uh, African nation, I, I forget the name, but uh, they basically just opened up the market to all cryptos. And then what happened was a bunch of scammers showed up and then started, you know, running rampant. And uh, six months later, they rolled it back. Um, I'm concerned that, you know, as a libertarian, Millet has a blind spot to private fraud, you know, which is something that in the crypto industry is like basically standard operandi for anything outside of maxi land and outside of like Bitcoin maximalist. And so um, what can you tell us about this? Is this is this a piece of the of 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 the conversation within the campaign? Really, really like your slang there. I mean, those those were that was one of the best wordings I ever heard for for Bitcoin. You know, like for, for Bitcoin related conversations. Um, well, private fraud. I, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a, it's a thing on the agenda right now because we have so many problems. Uh, but one of the main concerns here that we have is that dollarization might bring uh, drugs, cartels, etc. because uh, in, in, in that regard, dollarization might, uh, might you know, bring like uh, unwanted businesses because Argentina will be a washing machine in terms of, of US dollars, which is basically what happened to Ecuador, for example, and Ecuador has a really big problem with with drugs and 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 you know uh, basically uh, a, a wash up of dollars, and and the U.S. is really concerned about that too. The embassy here also mentioned it. So I guess it it will be something on the agenda at some point. It's not right now, um, but. Uh, the embassy will probably have something to say about that. Uh, it's not something that we can really uh, choose. You know how how much enforcement will we have with with um, private private scammers or, or whatever? I, it, we cannot be uh, you know a country like like Ecuador in terms of of. Um, uh, we call it here lavado de dinero, which is what I, I don't know how to say it in English. It's yeah, like uh, washing, washing, washing up dollars. Yeah, money laundering. Money laundering. Thank you very much. Yes, that's right. Okay, and uh, okay, so obviously that's the low, low on the list of concerns, given the the like very serious concerns that the country is dealing with. Um, another question that I was asked to ask you was in terms of the drug war and in terms of, uh, uh, let's say, drug legalization, right? I mean, we've seen a, a huge, let's say, progressive movement towards the approval of marijuana, of, uh, you know, like Colombian president just went in front of the UN and talked about like legalizing cocaine. And <laughs> I mean, 
of course. Wow, did you know, he say his, that? Did he actually yeah, say that? Oh my God, you got to listen to his speech in the UN. It was insane, insane. And he basically said like, well, all these yuppies in the United States, all these New York bankers and politicians are the ones buying the cocaine. And so, you know, let's stop with the hypocrisy, right? You guys have bigger problems like fentanyl, just legalize cocaine and marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think you know, he might be a genius. That, 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 guy, that guy, Petro, he might be a genius. I don't know. He's got his moments, I have to say. Yeah, that was, that was, that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yes, here we have uh, marijuana is legal uh, de facto, uh, so everybody can, you know, smoke in the street, nobody cares. Um, even the, the, the son of, of a governor here has a, a, a marijuana farm in, in the north. So it's it's very it's very normal to to smoke marijuana, and about Millet's policies, uh, I wouldn't say that he he it's something that he has on the agenda right now. He's not in favor of legalizing drugs, I guess, but not because he doesn't want it. I, I mean, he's not in favor. He's not in favor. Uh, favorite for it because. It might bring problems to to their. I mean, it's more a realistic point of view. You cannot have a free drugs because you will have a big problem with the U.S. And if there is something that that Millet doesn't want is to have problems with the U.S. That's fascinating. Yeah, of course not. He's he he needs he needs Western support in order to pull this off. That's for sure. And and it seems like if Millet doesn't succeed in, um, let's say, solving the Argentina peso problem and, and, and you know, opening up dollarization, then, then Argentina was very much going into the arms of, of China and, and the BRICS nations. Can you tell us a little bit about that situation? You know, what, what the fork on the road is, is, is for Argentina in that regard? Sure. Well, Argentina has always, always had a, like an intermediate stance. He was... Uh, I mean, Argentina was has always been uh, an intermediate country, uh, a, a country that wants to be fine with every country in our, on Earth. I mean, we have never been like on the Second World War. We weren't with the Allies. We weren't with the with the Germans. We weren't with the Japanese. It, it, we were always, you know, neutral. We are a neutral country in terms of international approach however uh, we, we are like trying to at, at this moment we are trying to uh, trying to bring opportunities uh, from China but also from the US we are like we, we always have been neutral and I think Millet will always 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 try to favor the US however, Millet also knows that uh, China is our uh, largest largest uh, trade partner. So we cannot really um, say, "Well, we are cutting our ties. We cannot uh, we cannot sell you those soybeans anymore." Uh, it, it is something that that we we will have to change over time. It it, it can't be done uh, overnight, and um, we will. Keep selling soybeans to the Chinese. I mean, it, it's it's virtually impossible. It's our main source of dollars. 
Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. And, and I like the way that Millet approached the problem. He said, uh, you know, as a, as a statesman, as a president, I will not, and as a libertarian, I will not do business and I don't, will not enter into treaties with communists, right? Which is exactly, you know, exactly. very clear. Is but he also said, I will, not stop, I will not stop private businesses from doing business with whoever they want because I am a libertarian, exactly. which I thought it was very, it, very sound policy. Exactly. That, that, that's his, his approach right now. And um, of course, there, there, there's always people trying to, to tell him, well, but if, you, if we continue this course, we'll be owned by the Chinese at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the incentives uh, and, and the, the, the productivity that Argentina has at this moment only allow, allows us to you know, uh, hand over the soybeans and receive those few dollars. Uh, because we don't have productivity a lot at all, and um, that's a, that's another problem. Uh, because the exchange rate, you know, there's a control on the exchange rate, and again, we are we are on on the monetary side again. It, it's like there are many 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 things to solve before trying to position ourselves in terms of international policy. Before uh, you know. We have to do many, many things, and and like nine out of the ten priorities are uh, monetary priorities and fiscal priorities. No, that makes a lot of sense. One of the policy strategies that I heard him uh, heard Millet talk about in terms of solving the hyperinflation, he said, um, "Well, first of all, we you know I'm paraphrasing here. This is what I when I was doing some research for for these conversations." Um, First of all, we're going to, you know, return to much stronger property rights. Uh, We're going to lower the capital controls and remove this sort of like blue dollar sort of, you know, black market dollar situation. Just like basically make it open dollar competition. And then we're going to, I guess he said something along the lines of opening up foreign investment. And I got to say, like, you know, I, I look at Colombia and I'm not exactly confident in its future it's kind of murky it's kind of like very in the middle of the road but like if argentina dollarized and and if i felt that i could have very strong property rights in argentina maybe i sell a property here and move to argentina like it's straight up in the question and i think a lot of people in the world would love to see would love to actually like have confidence in their property rights in argentina michael saylor talks about his experiences you know in argentina uh, yeah. I guess 20, 10 years ago. So, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. Please, maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I heard I heard that story of of Michael Saylor. It's a great one. Um, he navigated for for like a month with with I don't know how many dollars, like a, a million dollars. Um, that's a great story. Um, well, property rights. Depends on where you are here. In Buenos Aires, property rights are more or less respected, but anywhere else, uh, not so much. And and it also always depends on uh, if you're friends of the government, of the local government. It depends on many things. Uh, so property rights are really relative. And I wouldn't say this has to do with Argentina. I would say it has to do with Latin America. Um but also, I have to say that uh, property right now in Argentina is quite cheap. Um, like, 
I guess in the U.S. they they measure it in square meters, but we we all we use uh, square uh, sorry square feet, but we we use square meters. And the price per square meter is basically on Buenos Aires, in Buenos Aires uh, on an expensive neighborhood. I would say two k two k per. Square uh, square meter. It's it's not much. I would say. Uh, I mean, it's much less. Two thousand US dollars. Two k. Two two thousand. Two thousand US dollars per square meter. Oh wow! Okay. It's it's quite cheap. Okay. It it's quite uh, cheap in terms of in historical Buenos Aires terms. Oh okay okay. And in the in the rest of the country, it's much much cheaper. I would say, maybe half. Or or twenty five percent of that, like maybe a thousand dollars per square meter. Interesting. But okay. it always depends on the neighborhood and different things. Right. Um. But but you you said that you you were considering moving to Argentina. It is okay. this is as a, as an Argentinian, I cannot be you know uh, a neutral, but. I would say this is the one of the best countries to live in, mm-hmm. basically because we have great food. Uh, it's it's a really beautiful country in terms of uh, you know everything. You can live in the mountains on the mountains. You can live on on, on the beach. You can live on, in the south. You can live in the north. Um, I mean, the, the, you, you you can choose your climate. You can also choose the if you're American, I mean, you can choose the the, the the type of life that you that you want because everything's really cheap. Uh, labor is really cheap, so you can have maybe one or two people helping you with anything at any point. Um, and yes, if you live in Buenos Aires, maybe things will be more expensive. But again, compared to other uh, other cities in the world, I guess Buenos Aires, uh, at least right now, has to be the has the best relationship between uh, life and cost. Mm. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's what I hear from friends there, and people, like I have a couple of friends uh, who just went to Argentina from Beat Phoenix, uh, Will and Ricardo, who are. Uh, trying to expand the peer-to-peer uh, platform of Bitfinex. And they were just in Argentina and they're sharing the food and the pictures and you know, the beauty of the capital, the, the, so the, the European um, aesthetic of the capital. Um, and, and the country has you know, a, lot of, a lot of to give in terms of uh, its, its, its natural beauty as well. So um, I definitely have to visit at the very least, uh, hopefully soon. At, um, well, compared, I, I, I've never been in Colombia, but... Compared sure. to Colombia, I would say it's it's more it's more neutral. Argentina is more neutral. Argentina, uh, Colombia has always been like a, a the puppet of the U.S. in Latin America. Um, right. They are the only country in NATO, for example, Colombia. Uh, right. And at the same time, they 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 you know um, Colombia keeps getting away with with being the, the largest exporter of cocaine, that, that wouldn't yeah. happen if, if it weren't for the U.S. and the CIA. So uh, it's not a, a safe country, I guess, uh, at least not compared to Argentina. Yeah. So uh, at least for now, I prefer to be an Argentinian. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely the crime has definitely been going up in Colombia. I mean, that's that's undeniable. I've got some stories I could tell, but uh, maybe that's for another time. Um, okay, I, we have ten minutes, uh, maybe fifteen minutes left. Um, I want to ask you about, you know, what there have two questions. First of all, what's it like working inside of the Millet campaign? Uh, have you had an opportunity to interact with him? Uh, what is him? What is Javier Millet? like behind the camera behind the scenes is he the same person or have you seen the have you seen the early clips the early clips like in in those that we that he was like screaming and 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 cursing well that's that's him on private (laughs) (laughs) he basically enjoys cursing socialism that's basically him he's very genuine and, and that's why people like him um he he tries to be more neutral in public but uh his heart is is bigger um i guess that uh being part of this has has been really really you know uh really good really has feels good because everything all of this this hasn't you know this started in like 2016 2017 and and being one of the early birds on on that train has been really rewarding to me in terms of the friends that I made in terms of the you know the the things that I may attain in the future so always jumping on board of 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 projects and being an early bird it's it's like a good combination um I guess I might be part of the Ministry of Economy not 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 of course not as a minister because I don't have the I don't really have the age I'm just 28, but I might be part like uh, an um, an analyst in the ministry. Maybe uh, I don't really know yet. We haven't even won, but it's it's been really rewarding. Right. No, that's really interesting, and it's interesting to hear about about Millet and 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 let's say his personality behind the scenes as well like he seems like a very passionate guy he seems like he really actually believes every he seems like a genuine guy to me I, 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 he doesn't strike me as like a poser or as somebody that's particularly um you know pretentious right like he's he's definitely very good he's got a very clear message and that's the obvious and i think it's a very good it's a very good message in general um what can you tell us about the actual let's say functioning of the campaign because one of the things that i hear is that this javier Millet campaign has been uh, very lean, you know, very cost-effective, very uh, technologically sophisticated, um, and you guys are having great success. It seems to me you guys completely caught the establishment in Argentina off guard uh, and the world off guard, for that matter. So, what can maybe other libertarian activists and political uh, actors, you know, learn from from the campaign that you guys have run uh, so successfully? Well. Uh... The first thing that we that I might have to say is that it, the, the campaign has been really uh, social media driven uh, because uh, mainstream media outlets won't let like um, might let me lay in, but they will always try to um, break him um, and make him even more passionate and make ma- make him even curse even more. So. That's that's something that he, he doesn't want right now. Um, so all of this campaign has been really social media driven by influencers 
and uh, and also that, that that was the first stage. The second stage was uh, creating a, an outlet uh, or or a couple of outlets that that um, provide the type uh, and and the 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 gist. I mean, you know the creating outlets new outlets new media outlets that provide the information that you want to provide to people uh, creating those channels has been really rewarding to the campaign for example uh, there's a friend of mine called juan uh he's also called juan uh that created one thing that's called uh, a media outlet that's called uh, right wing diary or right wing daily and we, he, he, Millet used it, or indirectly, we used it to to push certain narratives, and that's also been really rewarding. And then uh, Generation Z has created the, their own channels because I'm 28, but Millet is, is it's really really. Um, it's really famous within the generation C. TikTok has really been one of the main channels of, of our communication. Uh, so I would say that stage one, social media. Stage two, uh, creating your own outlets. Uh, stage three, uh, start local, like with... Um, People, people trying to organize themselves to push certain message uh, to people that is not on social media, like uh, retirees, uh, retirees, and, and whatever. Maybe your neighbors. And um, stage four, well, uh, try to try to push your your narratives on both on social media. On your neighborhoods and also via your outlets, so it's it's like um, an integrated effort that you have to do to to push your narratives, and you won't people won't notice that you that you are right at first, but if you keep telling them the same things for uh, you know years, at some point they will believe you, just because. Just because, because um, uh, at least in Argentina, things got so so horrible that we were the only the the only the only people telling them something different. So uh, I don't know if I don't know if we are right. That's the truth. I don't know if I am right being with Millet. Millet, yes, Millet thinks he's right, but. Uh, even a, a broken clock gives you the, the correct hour once or twice a day, right? So even if you are not on the good guys, at some point, if you keep telling telling people the same story once, uh, time and again, then then at some point you will have the opportunity to to you know to hold power at least for for a short time. So. That that would be my my advice. Keep telling people what you have to say, and uh, repeat, repeat, and repeat, and repeat. Yeah, I mean, repetition is definitely uh, one of the top pillars of persuasion. Um, 
and I mean, I like for what it's worth, uh, I think the the moral message, the the moral argument for liberty that that Millet is putting out, I think is good no matter what. You know, we saw the effect that Ron Paul had in the United States with his messaging, and even though he didn't achieve political office. Uh, as a president, as I think as a congressman, he he uh, he had great success, and he's had a, a huge impact on the culture. And the American culture has become very libertarian in many ways that I think people don't even realize. Um, so, he, from my personal opinion, and I'm not an Argentine, and I don't know the the stuff in the ground, I think he's he's hitting the right veins, uh, and he's he's hit, he's he's putting out a, a very clear message. Um, what last question that I have for you before we open up the floor a little bit, we have a, a couple of minutes, a few minutes left, uh, just real quick. What, um, what is people's response to this messaging? Uh, again, I just heard Millet say in front of Congress that, uh, the state is a criminal organization. The taxation is a form of slavery. Um, wh- how do people react to that? At first they were horrified, but, Again, if you repeat time and again the same thing and people are really tired of the status quo, you will have your chance too. So at first, everybody, you know, they're, they're, have you ever heard about, you know, the stages? Uh, at first, they will laugh. Secondly, they will hate you. And third, you will hold power. So uh, I guess that Millet started in 2016, like uh, he was laughed, he was, uh, people laughed at him. And then the closer, the closer he, he was to, to, to the public opinion, let's say that, uh, then people hated him more and and he was fed of hate. And now he has power. <laughs> it's like the three stages. Right. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't help that, that, that the country's been suffering under this, let's say, this corruption and, and the, the hyperinflation for so long. You know, it's been a story that I've been hearing about my whole life. But it's and, the uh, only way, it's the only play that, it's the only way that people understand. And people, ha- people must be really tired. Uh, and the same happens, I think, in the States. What, yeah. It will only be when when people are really tired that that things will change in the U.S. Uh, and I, I don't have a, an optimistic view of the U.S. Uh, sorry no. if, if, yeah, if there's something in the U.S. I'm really sorry, but I, I, Argentina is is really is like one of the worst countries in terms of economic in in terms of in terms of economics. But in the states, wow, you're being totally destroyed in terms of or in terms in social terms. Yeah, I mean, if anything can be said here is that Argentina seems to be hitting rock bottom, and uh, you know, from an addictions perspective, that's the most likely place to to actually change for the better. Uh, and the United States still has a ways to go. I think that's 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 kind of clear. Um, all right, uh, let's. Uh, let, I'll just say lastly, and we'll get some. We'll get found here. If anybody else has some questions for. Uh, for this on, please uh, jump up and make them quick, because um, we Rob has to leave, I believe, very soon. But um, yeah, I have three three minutes. Okay, excellent. So that, that's pretty much what we have. So um, I'll just say, you know, I, I hope you guys uh, um, wield that power wisely, and I hope you work towards consensus, and I hope you can uh, help 
Argentina uh, resolve these issues because it is a beautiful country and uh, I really wish it well. Um, all right. Uh, we have some tweets pinned in the nest. Um, if you guys are interested, we're, we got adopting Bitcoin coming up. We got some discounts. Adopting Bitcoin is in El Salvador. It's a builders Bitcoin conference. Um, definitely check that out. We also got Unconfiscatable, which is coming up. Also got a good discount. So definitely see those tweets. Uh, Tesson, one thing that I also should say, and I, that I think it's it's important, um, maybe as the, as the space for this develops, I hope you guys d- d- explore uh, you know, the Bitcoin side of things uh, with more focus. I think you need to be careful of other, other cryptos. I think there's a lot of uh, crypto scams and a lot of projects that, are, that, that, that look good on paper, but behind the scenes are about as centralized as anything else. I hope you find you guys find some Bitcoin maximalists to guide you and, and like give you some insights. You know, people like like I've been in this space for almost 11 years now. I can tell you stories <laughs> for days, you know, so I think I think it's important to have good counsel on that regard, you know, and and um, but yeah, I think, you know, we, we've seen the, the great benefit that, that Bitcoin has had for El Salvador from a from a wealth, from an investment perspective, from a branding, from a rebranding perspective. And alongside a strong leader and a, and a good leader, uh, it seems to be very effective for bringing capital in, which it seems like what you guys need is like straight up, you know, more currency into the country to, to replace Argentinian peso. Sure. I, I'm also a maximalist, a Bitcoin maximalist. <laughs> I'm an Ethereum hater, so that's right. that's fine. <laughs> um, so I, I guess we are on the same train on that one. Yeah. Um, but well... Uh, Sure. Let, let's see what 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 people want. Let's see what uh, what people require. Let's see if, if Congress allows us to to change things. Yeah. And th- well, thank you very much, Juan, for for having me here. And well, let's talk at some point in the future. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Ignacio Tesson, and uh, it was great to have you. Uh, and hopefully, we can have you again sometime. Appreciate you. Sure. Sure. All thank right. you very much. And thanks everybody else for joining. Thank you to Diana and Adam Dove for sharing their thoughts and uh, helping us sort of get some context about this conversation. I think it's been a great conversation. And uh, we do this show every weekend. We're, we're aiming for every Friday at 4 p.m. CST. Uh, we obviously post the link so you can, you know, put a reminder. We have an, uh, another show coming up. This one's going to be next Thursday, actually. It's going to be talking about free cities. Uh, so it's going to be... Yeah, next Thursday at noon central. Uh, keep an eye out for that link, and um, and you can follow the the, the podcast. We're, we're editing all these conversations and polishing them and publishing them at huangal.com as a podcast. Uh, they're on the Bitcoin News YouTube channel, and we're going to expand our, our footprint on social media. But if you want to listen to this again or share it, or if you missed a part of it, you came in late. That's the way to get them. We're going to publish this as soon as possible. And uh, we're gonna continue to have great conversations. I, I love I love this this uh, this thing that we're building, and uh, we can't do it without you. So appreciate your support, and uh, we'll see you guys on the next one. Uh, Rob, any any final thoughts? <laughs> I just want to say that was an amazing conversation. I think uh, you picked some amazing guests and a great topic for this week. Really eye opening. Jeffrey Tucker and uh, Ignacio really hit it off there, and. Um, yeah, I mean, this is an amazing story to follow, and I'm glad that we're on top of it with uh, Bitcoin News and the Juan Gold Show. Awesome, awesome, and we'll we'll definitely try to have both guests again because that was uh, we definitely did not have enough time. I think everybody wanted to stay longer, but uh, maybe next time. All right, thank fine. you, everybody.
All right. Have a good weekend. Thanks for tuning in. This has been the Wong Gold Show on Bitcoin News. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.